may be seated. And please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. In your bulletin insert, there is an outline for you, and the text is on the top there. From Matthew 7, 1 to 5. And this is a sermon in a series of sermons I've been preaching on Christ-commissioned unity. Unity is so important in the body of Christ. Jesus prayed for us, for you and you and you and me, to be one. He prayed for us to be one as He and the Father are one. And when that unity happens, it has a profound witness to the watching world that the gospel of reconciliation between us and God works because it can be seen in our unity with one another. So we've been looking at various scripture passages that help us to guard that unity, promote that unity. We saw that first call, that commission of unity in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Then we looked at the different threats to unity that were in James chapter 4. And then battling bitterness and finding genuine love in Romans chapter 12. And this week, probably one of the most misused and abused texts that is before us from Matthew chapter 7. We're looking at Christ commissioned unity that requires that we judge justly. Judging justly. People don't want to be judged at all. And so when they come across this text or they pull out this text, it's often from believers and unbelievers alike to say, I don't like what you're saying about what I say. You don't, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. See, the Bible says you can't judge me. Well, the Bible does not rule out all judgments. We have to see what judgments are just and are right and are commanded for us to perform, but that'll require us to Dig into God's Word together this morning. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, as we come to this passage of Holy Scripture, these words from our Savior Jesus, we hear them spoken And we need to know, Lord, how to answer the critics, how to answer those who would take these verses to condemn us for our making judgments. Lord, help us to understand what the answer should be to those who would forbid any judgment at all. Lord, many of us, too, come to this text as one who practices what we shouldn't practice. As hypocrites, we often find ourselves looking for the problems in others way before we look at our own problems. So, Lord, we need you to teach us. Teach us how to rightly respond to sin, sin in others, sin in ourselves, so that we might experience 
the unity that you have designed for us, called us to, and pray for us to have so that we would be a testimony to the watching world. We pray that you would do this for your glory. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've heard me say before that I have a bit of a struggle when I'm on the road being a little judgmental about the other people that share the road with me. And share the road is probably not a, a fair way of looking at it because really it's my road and they're on it. They're infringing on my space so that when they fly past me, I know that they're reckless, terrible drivers and I got of course, an accurate judgment of speeders like that. But then there are people that are driving way slower than me. And those people annoy me and are unsafe, really. They should just be taken off, take their license away, and they should not be allowed on my roads. Well, that continues to be a problem sometimes as it gets a little closer to home when we take road trips, as you and your family sometimes do. And I was reminded of that when Janie's aunt and uncle came down from... Chicago and they visited us and we talked about the different routes that you can take getting there and of course I shared the right route that you should take the best route and uh, Janie's uncle and I were kind of mentioning how we kind of like to be in the driver's seat just about most of the time in fact uh, very few of the driving hours maybe uh, you'd find uh, our wives driving in fact I don't think Aunt Mary drove at all this time down, eight hours and all Uncle Rich. Well, when I sit in that seat, I just have things go through my mind. And, and what I would call a gift that God's given me to be able to help people in need. I mean, in counseling, when somebody has a need and they ask you for help, that's a good thing to be able to discern. But alas, when people aren't asking for your help and you have such a keen awareness of where they need help, you kind of run into a little bit of conflict, right? Uh, you need to go a little faster, bump up the cruise control because there's somebody coming fast. We need to switch lanes a little sooner because you're coming right up on them. Watch out for this guy and this. All these things are in my mind, let me have you, say, have you know. They're not coming out of my mouth for the most part, right? Only in the most dire of situations, at least in my judgment, a dire situation. Do I have to speak my mind? Well, quite often, during the middle of the day, I'll uh, go to lunch with some of the guys in the office, with Tony and with Jake and with John, and we'll come all together in my car. Just easy for me to drive. So I'll drive down the road, and we, we go to some of the similar restaurants all the time, and there's a left turn with an arrow that we always take to get into the restaurant that we go to. And as we get there, rarely do we actually get the green arrow. We have to we have to make our way across traffic and into. And so I carefully, cautiously wait for the right time. <coughs> That's Jake coughing right there. Because what happens is I get grief all the time. I see the white knuckles on the dashboard. I see the, and I'm, I've only gotten in one accident and not even with them in the car that way. Okay, I feel how dare they judge my driving when I'm in the driver's seat but when my wife is in the driver's seat, I got every right and responsibility to do the judging. <laughs> is that how it should work? Well, 
it's comical when we're talking about advice and, and things that aren't of the nature of, of sin and wickedness and our blindness. Today in our text that Jesus gives us these words and this, this analogy for us, we're going to see what kind of judging Jesus is, is truly talking about. We're going to see how our sin does blind us to other sins that are in our lives. We're going to see how we can tell the difference between a log and a speck. And then once we find out what the difference is, what do we do about a log? What do we do about a speck? So what kind of judgment is Jesus talking about? Verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. And to answer the critic, let's find some context here. Let's read a little further on. Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus isn't forbidding all judgment. He's just saying you have to have the right measurement. You have to measure accurately against the right standard. And I'm sure his hearers, if they had any familiarity with the Old Testament, would have heard about measures, just measures. In Leviticus, outlined in specific detail are how to use just measurements. In Leviticus 19.35, it says, You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights. You have a product you're going to sell to somebody else, and you need to know accurately what it weighs so that you can get an accurate price. And not to stick your thumb on the scale, not to have a weight that isn't true to what it ought to be. When you measure against the wrong standard, you make bad judgments. When you use the right standard, you make good and necessary judgments. Well, further on in the context of Matthew 7, get down to verse 15, and Jesus directly says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Okay, how am I going to know these wolves? How am I going to know if i got to watch out for them, if i got to be on guard against them? 7.16 says, you will recognize them by their fruits. We, we are to make judgments about ravenous wolves who are teaching false teachings by their fruits, by what they say and what they do. John 7.24, Jesus commands... Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So the scriptures say that we ought to make some judgments, but there are other judgments that are off limits, that we shouldn't make, that are poor judgments. They could be dishonest. They could be inappropriate for us to engage in. Lou Priolo helps with this uh, small little booklet called Judgments, Rash or Righteous. I would commend it to you. His One exception that he has is don't judge things to be sin that are not explicitly or implicitly identified as sin according to the Bible. If something isn't called a sin in the Bible and implicitly or explicitly, you shouldn't call it sin. You shouldn't add to the scriptures to make another layer of command. James 4.11 speaks to this. James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You can't make up your own set of rules or add to God's set of rules and try and hold other people accountable to that. 
Now, there are times where we, we have particular scruples or we take particular precautions in our conduct or our speech or what we do that for us, we see as a safeguard against falling into what the Bible does call a sin. But if we make one of those scruples or judgments for ourselves necessary for somebody else to do when the Bible doesn't, that's adding to someone else's, that's making a judgment of them that, that God doesn't make. I've heard somebody say, I have a hard enough time keeping ten commandments. I don't need you to add an eleventh for me to keep. That doesn't help us in our sanctification, and it doesn't help us to force that on other people, that kind of legalism. Secondly, Priolo goes on to say, don't judge those things which God has hidden from you, the things that you have insufficient knowledge to make a sound judgment. You don't have the whole story, so you don't make the judgment. And that's uh, grounded in what Proverbs 18 says, if one gives an answer before he hears it, it's his folly and shame. Oh, I got an answer for that. Well, you haven't heard the whole story. And Proverbs 18, 17 goes on to say, the one who states his case first seems right until the other one comes and examines him. You haven't heard both sides of the story. So don't make a judgment before you know all the facts. Wait till you have all the facts and then you can make a just judgment. Thirdly, he says, don't judge the thoughts and motives of another person. Oh, this is so dangerous. This is so tempting because how often do we know, I, I just know they did this because they want to do that. They did this just to get me, the, and we assign or impugn the motives of somebody because we think we know. Here's what Paul directly says about that. In 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 5, he says, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. He's saying that the human judgments that we have, um, they're open to be wrong. They could be wrong. And in fact, he says, it's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light those things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Okay, if a purpose of the heart, look at that. that, that is, that's a motive. If I have purposed in my heart, that's the rationale or reason that I have for, for doing whatever I'm doing. That is hidden in darkness until Jesus comes. You cannot know that. If they say, this was my motive, if they tell you, I did this because, then you're just basing it on their testimony. But if you think that you can see into their heart and read their motive, you're wrong. And the Bible forbids you from making that judgment. Don't make rash judgments. Don't attribute evil motives to someone without evidence. Don't make any judgments without sufficient evidence. Don't make your judgments based on suspicions or hunches. Judging others on their outward appearance. Maybe their body language. Maybe what they wear. Maybe how they dress or what they look like. Don't judge them based on hearsay or unsubstantiated testimony. Don't be bigoted or prejudiced towards people who are different from you. Those judgments, not just. The judgments that God calls us to practice are lined out in His Word and that we should do so 
when called to, do, to judge. Well, there is another component to this judgment that we need to be on guard against because Jesus just puts it out there in this analogy. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? You failed to notice something. Why is it that we fail to notice sin in our own hearts? Why are we blind to our own sin? There was a man who uh, was having some difficulty communicating his, with his wife. Now, that's not uncommon, but he concluded that she was probably becoming hard of hearing, so he decided to conduct a little test without her knowing what was going on. So one evening, he sat in a chair on one side of the room while his wife had her back to him but was on the other side of the room, and she couldn't see him. He quietly whispered, can you hear me? There was no response. He moved a little closer. Same thing. Can you hear me? A third time. Gets closer, says, can you hear me? Then gets right up behind her and says, can you hear me? And she turns around with this irritated look on her face and she says, for the fourth time, I hear you. You see how we could be blind to our own problem? Maybe it's me. We never question our own abilities. We always question that it's somebody else's problem. It's somebody else's fault. And we fail to look at ourselves as maybe being the problem. Some of you are just getting that joke now. You're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> she, he, okay. Well, as we examine what's actually going on in our hearts with this problem with a, a, a log being missed and actually becoming a hypocrite because we, we don't see it. The problem is, is with our pride. Our pride is what blinds us to the sin that so easily creeps in. Again, Priolo, in a book called The Complete Husband, describes that, that dynamic of being blinded to our own sin. He says, the sin of pride carries with it the God's swiftest and most severe judgment. It blinds you to other sins in your life, and it hinders you from repenting of them. Pride is the acquired immune deficiency syndrome of the soul, AIDS of the soul. When a person dies as a result of acquiring AIDS, he doesn't really die of AIDS. Rather, he dies of AIDS-complicated illnesses like pneumonia or tuber tuberculosis or meningitis. Uh, not unlike a cataract over the eye, um, the AIDS virus somehow blinds the eyes of its victim's bodily defense system. This prevents the autoimmune system from seeing and consequently destroying those deadly viruses and bacteria that ultimately do kill them. Like AIDS, pride blinds you not only to itself, but also to every other sin that's tucked away in the recesses of your heart and life. It causes you to hate correction and reproof. It hides your sin from you. It justifies your sin. It excuses your sin. And it keeps you from repenting of your sin. It deceives you into thinking that you're spiritually well when in fact you have a deadly cancer and are in desperate need. Isn't that such the case with us when we totally miss our own sin? It's because pride has gotten rooted in there and is hiding. How do we tell what is a log and what is a speck? It would be natural maybe for us to just say, well, I, I can use common sense here. A log is a little sin, and a, and, and, or a log is a big sin, and a speck is a small sin. But that's not what Jesus says is the measure. See, 
we have to judge justly, and to do so, we have to use the right measure. Jesus says what that measure is. He says in verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, how do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? So Jesus is using this analogy to, to teach us how to discern what sin is a log, what sin is a speck. So it's a medical question when you really come down to it. Something impaled in the eye. So when Jesus uses a medical illustration, I think we should probably think of in medical terms. I, I wanted to contextualize it to here and now. So a few weeks back, we had introduced to the congregation the MERT team, the Medical Emergency Response Team. And doctors, nurses, paramedics standing up, and we're like, wow, I feel safe knowing that there are people on call ready to assess the situation. So Mike Dameron's put together this team, and let's just imagine Mike is now sitting in the narthex, he's on duty, and he's ready to handle any medical emergencies that come. Boom, over on this side, Pastor Tony jumps up, grabs his head, and runs down the aisle and heads back to Mike Dameron sitting there in the narthex. At the very same time, Aaron Suber jumps up, grabs his head, runs out the doors, and stands in front of Mike. As a medical professional, he's got to triage the situation. You know what that means. The worst injury gets first action. We've got to care for the worst injury. And so what happened to Tony was he's been dealing with allergies all week, and he had a tissue, he's wiping his eye, and a speck of that tissue got caught in the corner of his eye. He couldn't get it out. So he's standing in front of Mike with this watery eye, just can't get it under control. What happened on the other side of the sanctuary, unbeknownst to Tony, was that Aaron had a kneeler incident. He tried to use the kneeler, missed it altogether, and got the pew in front of him lodged in his eye. The entire pew is lodged. His eye. Now, you say that's ridiculous, but that's just as ridiculous as what Jesus says, that there's a log in somebody's eye. So, follow the story. It's lodged in his eye, and in some feat of superhuman strength, he lifts the entire pew, and he runs out the door, standing in front of Mike Dameron. Mike has to size up the situation here. Aaron with a pew in his eye. Pastor Tony with a speck of tissue in his eye. Who gets treated first? Who needs the most care? Pastor Tony does. That's what Aaron thinks, because with this good eye, he sees out of the corner, poor Pastor Tony. Hey, I can help, and he swings that pew, knocks him in the head, knocks out Mike, and says, I can help you. Can Aaron, with a pew in his eye, be of any help to any other human being? But I can see clear enough to help you with that speck. Ridiculous. All right, it's just as ridiculous when I can see so clearly somebody else's sin and attempt to try and help them with their sin and totally miss my own sin. Repent of your sin first and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's the order that Jesus gives. The only way that we know that this log is a log, it's not going to be a medical assessment. It's not going to be... Um, a, a medical professional saying what that log is. Jesus gives the very definition of what makes a log. Here it is, verse 4. How can you say to the... I'm sorry, verse 3. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? The only way that a log is a log and a speck is a speck, the measure to measure which is which is location, location, location. If it's in your eye, by definition, by Jesus' definition, it's a log, take care of it first. Your sin is your problem, first priority. Don't worry about somebody else's sin until you take care of your own sin by repenting of it. It's not just little things make specks and big, impactful sins are logs. No, if it's in your eye, it's your log. If it's in his eye, it's his to take care of. And you know, from his perspective, it's actually a log because it's in his eye. What do we do? What do we do when we get that speck that's in the eye? How do we respond? We need to respond by treating our sin as God sees it. You remember David's wicked rape of Bathsheba and his hiding of it for a time, and finally, the conviction that came to him, his attitude totally changed. And instead of avoiding, he ran to God and he took responsibility. And humbly, in Psalm 51, he said, I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and then have done what is evil in your sight. Humility. The perspective that Paul had in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Me first, God. I need the gospel more than anyone else in this room, because I know my heart more than I could ever know your heart or your heart or your heart. Deal with you first, and God will bring conviction to the person you're dealing with. Well, what do I do about a speck or a log? Well, if it's a speck, leave it alone for now. And let God's Spirit work in that person to bring it to their attention. Uh, one great philosopher and theologian to another deep thinker, Bert and Ernie on Sesame Street. Do you remember this interchange? Bert, always the helpful soul, always trying to take care of Ernie, who lived on the wild side a little bit, needed a little, you know, corralling and, and counsel. Hey, Bernie, her, hey, Ernie, you got a banana in your ear. Ernie says, what? Bert says, Ernie, you got a banana in your ear. He says, what? Ernie, you got a banana in your ear. He says, speak up, Bert. I can't hear you. I got a banana in my ear. Okay, that was just a cheap thrill right there. We focus on other people's problems and sins that we think we can see so clearly, but we totally miss our own hearts. Don't deal with the specks first. Deal with the log first. Don't get into this denial or blame shifting and saying, well, mine's not as bad, or uh, this is a minor problem compared to what their problem is. First John 1, 7 to 10 says, if we walk in the light, even as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Don't deceive yourself. 
and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forget other people's sins for now. Confess your sin to God and repent of it. I fear that in our Christian culture today even, we do more um, explaining to others about our situation or more apologizing or saying, I'm sorry for what we have done than truly repenting of our sin. What is repentance unto life? Our catechism, question number 87, says exactly what it is. Memorize that and then put it into practice. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of that sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. I'm done living that way. I'm going to live the way that God wants me to live. And I'm going for it. And whether you change or you don't change, whether you see that speck or log in your own eye or not, I am doing what God's called me to do in repentance. I was talking to Janie about um, the frustration of sometimes dealing with people who um, are just real critical spirit. Maybe they're grumblers or complainers. And they always have a, a commentary on, on what they see. And they, maybe they see somebody uh, going through the buffet line and see how much they have on their plate related to how big they are or how they're dressed and not really put together or how many tattoos or piercings they have. And, and I was just kind of lamenting to Janie, I, I just get tired of all that judgment that comes out of that person's mouth. And then, boom, the two-by-four hit me in the head what are you doing right now? You're judging that person for the judgmental words that come out of her mouth. But do you know what's more dangerous? She just doesn't filter what is in her mind out of her mouth. My problem is I might just have a little better filter of when it comes out of my mouth, but I still haven't solved the heart problem of this judgmentalism that I keep trapped in here. Repent. Repent of that judgment in our heart, thinking I'm better and I'm higher. I need to be brought low. I need to see a true sense of my sin. Look for the logs in your own eye. Then go to Jesus and repent of those and see the grace and mercy that he has for you to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then extend some of that mercy and grace to others, which could call them to repentance. And in doing so, I think that our Christian community will experience more unity, more togetherness, and that'll be a huge testimony to the watching world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to your word again this morning, we, most of us haven't heard anything new. We haven't really dealt with a passage that is exegetically difficult to get to the meaning of. But Lord, it's oh so difficult to put into practice in a genuine way. Forgive us for our hypocrisy. Lord, we want to repent of that and turn to deal with our own sin in the way that you call us to, way before we ever consider 
trying to point out somebody else's. Give us your Holy Spirit's conviction where we need that conviction. Lord, give us a peace when others aren't living as we want them to live and a confidence to know that if they are a believer, you're at work in them as well. And your Holy Spirit is so much better than we are at poking around in people's hearts. I pray that we would trust you. Trust you in our lives and trust you in the lives of others. That you may be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of dedication is, or our hymn of response is hymn number 359. We'll stand together and sing hymn number 359, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds.